Look at this. It's like we found lost treasure. We're like Robin Hood. You want to keep it? Sometimes good people do evil things. Part of that is my money. Like there's two sides now. You're my brother. Bill Paxton. You gotta make this look like it was an accident. Billy Bob Thornton. What do I get? Bridget Fonda. He's gonna shoot you off. From the New York Times best-selling novel. A simple plan. I wish somebody else had found that money. Welcome back, everybody, to Reconcinimation. I am John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And this is the podcast where we take a look at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And guess what? We survived the holiday season. We did it. We're here. We're on the other end of the whole thing. I'm, I'm proud of you, David, for making it through. Thank you. You did it. Thank you. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, Hanukkah. New Year's. Whew. It's a gauntlet. What a ride, guys. What a ride. That's just two straight months of stuff. It's too much fun and stress and presence and anxiety mm-hmm. all wrapped up, pun intended, together. Mm-hmm. Just too much. But yeah. we did it. We had and we we had some great episodes coming through that season. We had the Reconsin a Christmas movie tournament. Uh, yeah, on, on socials. On the socials, yeah. Which one won? It was a Christmas story. Christmas story. It, it did it. Ridiculous. It was, but we had some, I mean, it was, the finals were Christmas story against Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, what? How Who did Rudolph get all the way in there? Rudolph got all the way there. Not even a movie. Well, I mean, you had it's a some, special. Edward Scissorhands made it really far. Muppet yeah. Christmas Carol made it really far. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can't remember which one took out. I think Rudolph took out uh, It's a Wonderful Life. That could probably be it. Yeah. Which was crazy, but uh, it happened. Yeah, these are these are things. I think we got to cast a wider net next year. Yeah. We'll do we'll definitely do that and and I'm hoping for a Garfield Christmas to really get further get, than it did. Get higher in the <laughs> rankings. <laughs> yeah, but it was fun and we'll uh, we'll probably do some more tournaments throughout the year, maybe I don't know, March or something. We'll we'll come up with a theme and Basketball movies. Basketball movies. 64 separate basketball movies. <laughs> Blue chips against Hoosiers. Yeah. In round one slash the finals. That championship season versus yeah. Air Bud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Can you imagine? Air Bud, obviously, a number one seed. <laughs> That's going deep. <laughs> oh, my God. That's going to be fun. But uh, but also, yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. It is 2020. We, we did it. All the future movies have now happened, right? Blade All. Runner's happened. Terminator 2's happened. Back to the Future's happened. Back to the Future 2, yeah. Back, yeah, yeah. Back to the Future already happened. <laughs> Back to the Future time. 1 happened a long time. Back to the Future 3, even farther. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, all the movies of the future have all happened by now. It's 2020. Cars are flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, we don't use money anymore. Right. It's like use, Star Trek. We use the three seashells. and <laughs> The three seashells. That's right. <laughs> and and uh, we are an intergalactic species. So. Yeah. Well, great. <laughs> it's going to be a really great year. But. We are entering, we are still in the winter season for reconcinimation. Sure. For January and February, I thought maybe it'd be a good idea. There were so many of them. 
we're going to enjoy what, what I like to call the 90, 1990s Recon Cinema Winter Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be taking a look for the next two months <laughs> at nothing but 90s winter movies. <laughs> Things set at winter, mm-hmm. snow everywhere. Snow, yeah. What kind of uh, relationships and conflict can be bred mm-hmm. when there's beautifully white flakes falling from the sky? Yeah. That's what we're looking at. I'm excited. What a season. There's And there's all sorts of genres. You've got you know, heavy dramas. You've mm-hmm. got mysteries. You've got action movies. You've mm-hmm. got comedies. They're, they're, they're all over. But the 90s really loved the snow. Yeah, I mean, I think man has a, an obsession. Filmmakers in particular, an obsession with snow. And uh, they, most, a lot of filmmakers try to work snow into almost all films. We know this. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard, though. Sometimes it's set in a tropical island. And you got to do a flashback scene that's happening in uh, in Soviet Russia, and it's snowing and it's dark out. It's it's like in every other movie. Yeah, very common and very difficult. So we thought we would tackle specifically '90s winter winter fests. That's this is exciting. Yeah, what a theme. Speaking of snow, did, have you watched the uh, the movies that made us on Netflix? Um, this isn't a plug. I mean, we're just talking now. I've watched the Ghostbusters uh-huh. and. Wait, what was the other one? Die Hard, Home Alone, Dirty Dancing? No, I didn't watch those yet. Okay. <laughs> so just the Ghostbusters. One. We did Ghostbusters, Die Hard, and Home Alone. And in Home Alone, mm-hmm. they used potato flakes for a lot of the snow. Get out so of town! I, I won't. I'm going to stay potato right here. Potato flakes? Potato flakes. Were they the first to innovate this? I don't know if they were the first. They were but not. apparently, <laughs> like, the, they were going rotten on like as throughout uh-huh. the day. Uh-huh. And it was a very, a very stinky set on uh, Home Alone. Is this on the interiors? Or this is no the, some of the, the exteriors because they they needed to wait for those beautiful snowy shots, but to, they wanted they needed to add to it as uh, well. I see. So I they see. added uh, potato flakes. So yeah. it's a lot of different techniques for snow. I feel like in like 1985, Nickelodeon was showing me that Hollywood used potato flakes. To, to sub in for snow. I think I knew this. I'm sure that's an I old trick. I feel like I've known this. But did you know about Home Alone? I didn't that's know specifically. Home Alone. <laughs> no, you're right. You got me. But those cool are, trivia. Those are really fun uh, episodes of that new show. Yeah, I've never watched the the toys that made us as the precursor. You have oh, you got to watch I it. I know. It's so good. I didn't realize they sort of produce it like a Bravo kind of lighthearted, like overproduced weird transitions animations music cues and i was like i started to get annoyed just so ghostbusters my first exposure to that that series and i'm like oh i don't think i'm gonna like this but it actually had a lot of good deep stuff so the content is good the overproduction is interesting um and not as distracting as i thought yeah some of them are move a little too fast and Mm -hmm. some are you know they there's things they skip over and if you know anything about the genre Mm -hmm. uh but that some of the toy episodes are really fun cool yeah no i want to get on those because i I had toys definitely watch the star wars toys one which Mm -hmm. is i think the very first episode Mm -hmm. pretty hilarious there's a he-man right there's a he-man and ninja turtles wrestling Mm -hmm. toys uh i was a ninja turtle guy transformers as well it was my bro- my cousins who were G.I. Joe, my brother who was Transformers. Yeah. There was a little bit of He-Man with my friends. Then I was the Ninja Turtle one. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> we all had our own interests. <laughs> who wouldn't want to be Michelangelo? Cowabunga. <laughs> Everyone wanted to be him. Did anyone want to be Leonardo? Wasn't that always the all, one? All the annoying kids. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Because he was the leader on the television show. Yeah. 
I don't think he's a leader in the comic books. No, comics are different. Very different. Totally different things. And anyway. we'll, we'll talk about that the day we cover Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles, Turtles, the movie. The movie. And then the sequel to then, yep. Secret of the Ooze. Mm-hmm. And then Turtles in Time. <laughs> that's a that's a movie. Yowza. That, anyway. That happened. <laughs> so what are we kicking off with our first winter... Wait, Recon Cinema Winter... Recon Cinema Winter Wonderland. <laughs> okay. 90s Winter 90s. Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. So picture that you've got like a long shot of like a meadow and with like like a like a long road, straight road with trees surrounding it, mm-hmm. but snow so. coming all not Christmassy. We're no. past Christmas. Christmas is over. This is January. Get over it. Yeah. Uh, and then what? Like a graphic that like appears from left to right, mm-hmm. glitter, maybe yeah. a, like a xylophone. Recon cinema. No. Yeah, recon cinema. Like a harp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like a sprinkle as the snow sprinkles down, it yeah. forms the words mm-hmm. 90s winter wonderland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way that'll fit on the screen. That's a lot of it's letters. A lot of, a lot of work, yeah. A lot of characters. A lot of characters. <laughs> but we are, uh, we are, so we're going to, you know, we stayed in this time zone not too long ago when we covered Rushmore. Mm, but yep. we are back in the late 98, early 99 time period with Sam Raimi's. A simple plan. Simple plan. Which uh, when when was the first time? The very first time you saw this film. Every time. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of days ago. <laughs> All right. So you're coming in with the fresh, fresh perspective. Fresh 2019. To, well, 2020. Yeah. Perspective now. Yeah. That's and that's for anybody new to the show who hasn't listened to our past ep- episodes. That's kind of the that's kind of our thing. David is quite often. Fight. Seeing the these some of these movies for the first time, mm-hmm. I am more of the veteran, and I've probably seen this, I don't know, six or seven times. Six or seven times, Probably something like that. Yeah. Come on, damn it! That's amazing. You love this movie, <laughs> yeah. clearly. Um, Spoiler any, alert! What was your uh, What was your first impression, having just seen it? Um, first impressions, uh, uh, astoundingly well acted by all parts. Um, movie that I think clipped along uh, at a fair pace, kept me engaged. It's very character driven, very focused on what these characters are going through, um, and just uh, it, you know, it was, it was a joy seeing these actors who I've always enjoyed um, together in this uh, again, I guess. But um, in this uh, thing, I, I thought it was really well done. I think it was. I think it's it's a it's a it's a hit. I mean, not a financial hit, but it's a hit. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I enjoyed uh, it. It's and this movie comes at an interesting time in all of our main players' uh, careers. Yeah, some are really just taking off. Some are right, you know, kind of dead center. Yeah, some are towards the end, and and or it's had you know a, just a, a turning point, or right before a turning point, especially for Sam Raimi mm-hmm. uh, for for his career, but. Mm-hmm. I saw this. Uh, this was uh, back in Santa Fe, back in my college days. Oh. Saw it with a couple of my, my loonies, mm-hmm. as you like to Santa Fe loonies, yeah. Does uh, anyone even remember what that re- calls back to? <laughs> they would have to listen to our review of the current Predator movie. The from, Predator. Or, or right? is it just... The, yeah, the yeah, Predator. Yeah, The Predator. From 2018. Yep. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I knew they stole the the gang of the gang of uh, fellows in that movie are called the Loonies. They totally ripped you off. Totally, that so. was uh, I coined that phrase in 1997. <laughs> so, so did you see this in the theater then? I saw it in the theater, and um, God, it brought back a couple of memories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, was supposed <laughs> was supposed to go on kind of a double date, it, but it was me and my ex girlfriend oh. <laughs> with another couple, our friends uh, Ben and Becca, uh-huh. who uh, were gonna, you know, the four of us were gonna go out. And my uh, ex-girlfriend uh, just vanished right before the <laughs> we were supposed to go to the movie. So it was a, it was a threesome. <laughs> I see. Gotcha. Yeah. Was she with you guys? And then no, had to she leave? just was somewhere. She was. I don't know. Just she was, didn't meet up. She was kind of dating somebody. So she was probably with that guy. That guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but we went to the Via Linda Mall in Santa Fe and. Saw the heck out of this movie. Saw the heck out of it. Yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> and it was a snowy. We went into the movie, and when we got out, it, w- it had snowed and was snowing. And there Whoa. was a little bit of concern that we wouldn't be able to get back to uh, the old college campus. Wow. But uh, we, we eventually you did You could it, have but... lived the entire plot of the movie. Yeah. Like, you could have crashed the car, go hunting for the fox that distracted you. I could have. And then yeah. run across a whole <laughs> bag of cash. I was. Uh, I remember being so frustrated at that situation when the movie started, mm-hmm. and the I enjoyed it so much that that was all gone by the time the movie was over. I was. I was just thinking about the movie and how uh, how much I enjoyed it. Got it. You were frustrated about the, your date not showing up. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it a date. Well, it like was a, she yeah. was an ex, so she yeah, just, yeah. she was just joining. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you were third wheel in it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Now I was the third wheel. So. Three's company. Yeah. <laughs> Three's a crowd. Yeah, the sequel to Three's, oh, Three's Company. Oh wait, Three's Company is probably a positive thing. Three's Company is a, a positive. Three's a crowd. Three's is a crowd. The, yeah, it's, yeah. Do you ever see that show? Three's a crowd. Yeah. What's that? The short-lived follow-up to Three's Company. Oh no, with John Ritter. No, I didn't. The the, the finale of Three's Company like is a finale. Yeah. The late, um, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. If anyone doesn't want to hear it, click off. But. The, no, don't. Just keep listening. Um, the two ladies move out, move away. Mm-hmm. John Ritter has gotten engaged, or Jack has gotten engaged, and his fiance moves in, uh-huh. followed by the new landlord of the building, her father. Oh, no. And he, like, bursts in the room, and they're, like, under the covers together. And that's the fina- that's the closing moment of Three's Company. Oh, my God. Leading into. Leading into. The following fall, three's a crowd, three's a crowd and that did not last for I did long. not know that. Yeah. Worth a, worth a look up. I'd have to find that, yeah. Yeah. They used the same set? like the Same, same set. It's the same. I think, I want to say his friend Larry was was the only other character who was transitioned. Yeah. Got it. But it wasn't a big cast to begin with. No, but you needed the dynamic of the two girls and him, and, and then either Don Knotts or the uh, the Ropers. So. And then did the Ropers also have a show on that same exact time? Had, yeah, they had left. I don't know if it was the same time. but uh, Oh, no, they, wait, that's right. They were mid. They, the Ropers were the original. They were the original. They left. And then Don Knotts came in. Don Knotts came in. And then the Ropers, they got, Ropers got screwed because they were guaranteed to come back to the show if their spinoff failed, and that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, we've spun off of Simple Plan. And oh, can we get back to that? <laughs> Nor, uh, uh, Don Knotts is not in this movie. No. In case you're curious. Nor is anyone from Three's Company or Three's a Crowd. We'll check. I'll, we'll fact check that. Get. Let me get an intern on that. Sven? Sven. Get the Three's Company Simple Plan connection, can you? Yeah. All right. Fire it up. Yeah. All right. He's going to get back to us. He's checking on the recomputer. The recomputer. Yeah. 
big buttons on that one. Um, so yeah, I had so this came. I saw this in January '99. Cool. And I had just recently, thanks to some some College of Santa Fe friends, my friend Ben being one of them, who totally got me into Sam Raimi. I like ah. I had not really watched any. I think I had seen Darkman, didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw the trailer for Army of Darkness, had no interest in that, oh. and had some very early memories of Evil Dead one. Yeah. Uh, then when I got to Santa Fe, they took me through a horror, like sh- short little film school, and uh, we watched all the Evil Dead movies, and I was in love with Sam Raimi. Oh, great! It just had to happen at the right time. Yeah, it has to hit you at the exact the exact time you need him. Yeah, you, when you need Raimi. <laughs> when you need Raimi, he'll, he'll be, be there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is at a um, really in like a precipice of his career of like where where was he going to go next so mm-hmm. it was it was it's interesting to look back and see where he did go after this mm-hmm. uh, but we'll cover that as we kind of get in the history of the movie mm-hmm. um, and this and the funny thing is that this story this plot kind of mirrors how you and I became friends <laughs> <laughs> that oh, yeah. briefcase that briefcase full of money that briefcase that full we, of cash we just found in a <laughs> found in that overturned truck yeah deep in the woods <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah. it, who would have known it would have financed recon cinema studios <laughs> yeah that's where it all came from yeah. um i i thought we swore a blood oath not to talk about that well it's been it's been two years <laughs> what's the worst that could happen <laughs> i was thinking we sat on the money for 15 years but that i'm confusing uh another thing i did in high school with another buddy and it was it was more about ten dollars we found in a teacher's wallet while i was having a heart attack we weren't going to say anything it's the best time to find it yeah and uh it was a dark secret for a long time so this is a pattern of of behavior (laughs) with that and then you yeah and then me just loving this movie and hoping this would happen in real life yeah and voila it did (laughs) Um, but let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the about the making of the movie itself. Okay. Um, Tell me. The, so this was originally Scott B. Smith was a writer for the New Yorker and then written a short story, which the publisher a, se- a completely separate short story. Publisher of the magazine really enjoyed his writing mm-hmm. and got into talking to him and found out he had written this novel that had yet to be published. Uh, called The Simple Plan, mm-hmm. and r- read an early version of it, loved it, sent it to to an agent who started floating it around Hollywood. This is all before the book even came out. Yeah. And of all people, Mike Nichols, who was one of the biggest directors um, from the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, just yeah. a legendary director who did... Um, God, he did so many movies. <laughs> the Graduate... Uh, more recently, up until that point, he did Working Girl, Postcards from the Edge, Regarding Henry. Uh, after that, would go on to do Wolf and and many more movies. But uh, he got a hold of the of the book and fell in love with it, and immediately invested two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to Scott Smith. Uh, you know, get buying the rights to it, and mm-hmm. if a major studio was interested, he'd give him another seven hundred and fifty thousand. So, yeah, you know, from writing a guy writing short stories for the New Yorker to which is great, yeah, to having, you know, a quarter of a million with another guarantee of 
three quarters of a million. Yeah, uh, is pretty good. Pretty good jump. Not bad. Yeah, no, he he was the to- he was a buzzy, very buzzy guy, right? Or you know, for this do- this novel for oh yeah years because yeah. I mean Mike Nichols was the first to touch on it, but then didn't this didn't this take a long time to just get going? It's yeah, it's kind of a long story about it. Really bounced around. This is probably 1992 or three that this is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the movie obviously doesn't come out in theaters till. December 98 in limited release so it's a long gestation period for this film Mm -hmm. Um, Mike Nichols starts developing it and is working with a a company called Savoy Pictures Savoy Savoy Mm -hmm. many of you may remember that logo it's like a like a bull kind of bounce not bouncing but coming across the screen a gray and red I think logo like lines yeah with lines around the bull yeah but uh yeah, produced a lot of, looking back on it, I would say a lot of, you know, B-grade movies in the 90s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bronx Tale. <laughs> it started with, Bronx Tale was their first movie, yeah. so, you you know, pretty significant hit there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, God, they had Shadowlands, Lightning Jack, one of your favorites. Lightning Jack. That was uh, the... Paul Hogan non Crocodile Dundee movie. Oh, you remember so yeah. well. The posters in your room. I, I, I see so many movies. <laughs> I can't keep them all straight. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, they did Serial Mom. Yeah, Serial Mom. No Escape. You ever no see escape? that movie? No. Ray Liotta. Yeah. It's like, um, oh boy, what is it? It's. Uh, I forgot the name of the movie it was like. <laughs> it's it's like another movie. It's like uh yeah, Dangerous Game, I think. The oh. old, old, older film. Got it. Uh Exit to Eden. Hmm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. With yeah. Dana Delaney, Dan Aykroyd, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, like, weird like S and M comedy. S and M undercover cop. Yes. Comedy You know those. Yeah. Uh, that's fun. The Walking Dead, not the series. Not the, the series. Uh, I think a Vietnam-related movie. Mm. But lots of you know stuff, kind of middle of the pack. You got some celebrities in there, but maybe not the you know biggest budget and biggest release. But mm. movies that are you know kind of coasting through. And Savoy later on would would really struggle at the at the end of its run. Well, after they did the Stupids with Tom Arnold, I think. Simple Plan was their final film. Yeah. Tom Arnold sunk Savoy Pictures. <laughs> that is not a good movie. The Stupids. I've never seen The Stupids. Yeah. I remember the the ads, I guess. Yeah, they had, uh, I think, Heaven's Prisoners, which yeah. is the Alec Baldwin movie. That could be right. The Adventures of Pinocchio. Okay. And, and, then, uh, and then The Stupids. And kind of back-to-back-to-back uh, disasters. Yeah. So. Oh, well. Yeah. But by that point, they were already in development on this film. Yeah. Uh, Mike Nichols eventually steps away after developing it for a while, and he's got some scheduling conflicts and uh, eventually would go on to do Wolf instead. Mm-hmm. So, um, Of all people, Ben Stiller is the next director to step in to start developing this film. Look at this. Now this is we're talking 1996 I think at this point. Right. Okay. 1996 Ben Stiller. What is he? What is he doing? Up to Cable Guy, right? Yeah, I think he's starring. I think he had already. Well, no, he didn't. Uh, you know. He directed, and then he's got the brief little role in Cable Guy. But, yeah. Um, yeah. This is post Ben Stiller show, so he's got some 
street cred as a you know a creative writer and director and mm-hmm. um you know he's got famously he won an emmy for that show after the show was canceled mm-hmm. uh but yeah he's he's looking for you know new things that would boost his career up to the next level and this is also before his acting career really really took off with what was it something about mary right was yeah the, i think that's what gave him gave him stardom and uh in the mainstream right yeah like, that, that put him to like in pretty much an a-list yeah. level mm-hmm. or at least a b-plus list yeah I would... don't tell him i said that <laughs> get ben off speakerphone <laughs> it's weird he listens in <laughs> <clears throat> uh, but yeah so he starts and he's actually the guy who shows Scott Smith how to write a screenplay and oh, wow. how, what the differences are between a novel mm-hmm. and a screenplay and how you're really just trying to, to visualize make it clear visually what your book is saying mm-hmm. so he really started to show him because I think Scott Smith is the, the skit sole credit for the script as well. Oh, really? And that uh, could be right. yeah, he does. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of it he attributes a lot of it to to Stiller actually. Well, wow. So Ben Stiller helped create a wonderful movie. Uh, he sure did. That he's like not attached to. <laughs> not at all. Like <laughs> gets no credit for. It. Yeah. Um. So as they they work on this for about nine months. And they're going back and forth, and there's a lot of budget concerns. And Stiller also eventually walks away from the project because he... uh, This is also where Savoy is starting to have some trouble, and they're looking for more financing from another company, and they can't find it, and it just was shaky ground. So Ben Stiller steps out, and another director named John Dahl comes in, who I don't really know that well. Um, Yeah. I'd I'd have to research him more, but... He comes in and starts develop, you know, takes the next few steps in in developing it, and um, he was the one who originally wanted Nicolas Cage to star in it, mm-hmm. and is a, the two are officially attached and kind of working on the project, and again more uh, budget concerns, and Savoy ends up being bought out by Barry Diller and who ran Silver King Broadcasting, which was also known as the Home Shopping Network. Oh, so, wow! Home yeah. Shopping Network. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> well, they they didn't own the project. They bought Savoy. Savoy, right? Which was financing the project. Yeah. Uh, eventually, Paramount Pictures finally steps in and takes sort of takes the reins on everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, again anytime that happens when a studio transitions or a financing company transitions there is almost assuredly going to be creative new creative input that uh, would be a struggle most of the time for uh, the directors and the writers and whatever actors are there yeah so you know true to form this is what happens with paramount and pretty quickly john Dahl and nicholas cage step out of the movie as well so this is now a highly anticipated script and story that's been going around town but kind of a troubled development production mm-hmm. um nicholas cage would have been interesting in this movie i would think so i think he would do it pretty well he might a, have been a, a good jake yeah, which is the billy bob role. Good jacob yeah. yeah i could i could see him in either one i would i would assume he'd be playing uh, Hank, he probably, you know, looking at 1996 Nicolas Cage, this mm-hmm. is right around, you know, after leaving Las Vegas and yeah. and uh, The Rock 
probably he would be the, the Hank kind of character. the straight guy of the of the the trio in a sense. But, yeah, you know, um, full of complexity that you don't you don't expect. All three of these characters really a lot more complex than you think. Yeah, uh, at first glance. Um, yeah, I think uh, and the John Dahl left and he went to go do Rounders after this. So Rounders, that's right. So after yeah. he left, he did Rounders. That was Edward Norton. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah with uh, Matt Damon. Yes, Ed Norton, Matt Damon. Yeah, Malkovich. Uh, yeah, he's the main villain. Yeah. I think at the end there. I I I don't think I've seen Rounders all the way through. Maybe oh. I need to study John Dahl. Maybe that's the lesson we're going to learn here. You're going to go to Dahl School. Dahl School. All right, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So after John Dahl steps out, the next person to step in was legendary director John Borman. John Borman. John Borman is a... If you look at his later career, I mean, he's been directing movies since the 60s. Mm -hmm. He did uh, some Lee Marvin films, Point Blank, which is a fantastic, fantastic movie. I think we will cover that at some point down the road here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hell in the Pacific, also starring Lee Marvin. And then he goes on to do Deliverance, which is another kind of iconic movie of the 70s mm-hmm. you know one of those gritty 70s movies i'm always very going on and on about mm-hmm. uh followed by the exorcist 2 yeah maybe not so great uh and then excalibur oh excalibur yeah that's a bizarre movie i've never seen that yeah the gabriel Byrne, i think helen mirren love scene while he's wearing armor is okay. might be my favorite moment oh my movie. yeah that's that sounds like quite a visual. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call that up. And then a lot of his like the rest of the 80s and 90s are kind of bizarre, like lower budget uh, films. I think more things he just wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, but he comes back and looking like looking at another studio film. Um, he is you know the one who is present for all the location scouting and really he really preps the movie mm-hmm. uh, and is the driving force behind the casting that would be the eventual actual cast in the movie, which is Billy Bob Thornton, Bill Paxton, Bridget Fonda, uh, and some other great actors that we'll talk about. And during all this, uh, they're continuing to develop the script and, and change it from what the version that was in the novel, which by this point had actually come out finally. Right. Uh, you know, for yeah. a couple of years by this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first the first draft of the script was 256 pages. Oh my! So that was like four and a half hours or something. Come on, Smith. Come on, get. Come on, get with it, Smith. Uh, and there was it was much darker, much more um, violent, and the characters a lot, were a lot less likable. Um, Jacob wasn't as much of a main character at all and it was a lot more about Hank and his wife Sarah. Oh. It was really like they were more of the main characters and uh, okay. the driving the plot. Hmm. So uh, that changed. Um, they had changed just some of this. They had moved the story from Ohio to Minnesota mostly for filming purposes because they were really hoping for a white winter. Yeah, really snowy. Minnesota tundra. Yes. It gets crazy out there. It gets crazy in that Midwest. Sure, Ohio, sure, Ohio gets snow. Sure, but of not Minnesota snow. Yeah, not Min- and, not Minnesota. I mean, look at Fargo. 
Exactly. I That's going to come into play later. Oh, what? Oh, <laughs> weird. Um, yeah, so eventually uh, the, they're trying to go into production, jan- start shooting January of 98. Again, Paramount is starting to dabble in the budget and want to cut this and cut that. And uh, Borman eventually has had enough and he walks away from the project. But right, you know, they're already in prep. Um, yeah. Mega producer Scott Rudin has come on to produce the film, and and he's a huge name producer. Uh, they, you know, they they it really was a problem that they had to quickly solve uh, once Borman walked away, oh. which opened the door for our old friend Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi, there he comes. Now Raimi has had a really kind of crazy career. It's 1997 by this point, mm-hmm. towards the tail end of it. And he'd been, you know, making movies for almost 20 years, really. I mean, yeah, if you, just everything he's ever put down. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Evil Dead 1 came out in, I think, 80... I think he shot it in 81. Yeah. Uh, then followed by Evil... He did a little movie called Crime Wave, which is... An interesting movie if you're seen. a Sam Raimi fan. Hmm. Uh, Evil Dead Two, mm-hmm. uh, which was not none of those were hits at all. Uh, Dark Man was going to be his first mm-hmm. big studio movie. Yeah, also not really successful. I'm looking forward to covering Dark Man because it's such an interesting story of what that movie could have been, mm. should have been. Watching it now, it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. But way ahead of its time like people were not getting the humor oh interesting yeah it was funny yeah i mean i remember seeing it when i was 11 and Uh was like oh this is just not a great action movie Uh but watching it years later like oh no this is a brilliant kind of commentary on on those 80s like batman basically oh really okay interesting. and not a spoof but just kind of like a little bit mocking the, yeah. way, the way it's done. Ooh, I have to see With it With a again. great cast. It's Francis McDormand and Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, maybe. Yeah, Come before on. he was... He was nothing. Before he was Qui-Gon. <laughs> the, the role that made him. And we know what happened Qui-Gon. after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then he you know, went back to basically Evil Dead 3, which is Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And... Again, another movie that that studio the studios really wanted to be and needed to be a big hit and was a flop. It looked a lot of fun. I remember as when I was young and watching the ads for that, the trailer, the commercials. I thought it looked hilarious because they were they were camp, they were they were pointing to all the camp of it. And I had not I actually wasn't that familiar with the Evil Dead at the time. Yeah. So I'm like I don't even know what this is. But yeah. That looks me funny. Too. Like this. Okay. But I know you said you didn't have an interest in it, but like. I don't know. Just a couple of zingers in the the commercial. I'm like, oh, that looks fun. And then I think I saw it on rental like a year later. Yeah. Um, which and it at the time it was it wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be, but and I haven't revisited it since. But uh, I did enjoy it. Yeah. I um. I did, was not into it from the trailers. Uh, I had uh, like most people had no idea that it was unless you were a major horror fan, which I was just a little too young at that point. Yeah. Uh, there's no way you would know that it's related to at least Evil Dead 2. Right. Because uh, Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead 2 is like a remake of Evil Dead 1. Right. And it's all debatable whether those are sequels or remakes or right. what. But right. uh, Army of Darkness is definitely connected to Evil Dead 2, and there's no acknowledgement of that. 
Like in, in terms of the marketing of it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. You had no idea. Yeah. It just looked like a weird, like funny medieval yeah. adventure movie with like, with weird quips. <laughs> I don't know. And then the trailer sells a lot of the, the deadites, the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the skulls and the skeleton army. And, yeah. and a lot of that is all over the trailer. And I, I was like, I don't know what this is. It yeah. just looks stupid. Mm-hmm. So I stayed away, intentionally stayed away from it. Sure. Um, so I guess the first full, uh, you know, Sam Raimi movie that I saw was his next one, which is The Quick and the Dead. Quick and the Dead with your boy Gene. With my yeah, my my dude. Yeah. I'm gonna see him this weekend. Yeah? Yeah. What are you doing? Just hanging out. We're gonna record some Lowe's commercials. <laughs> Just him and I. Does he do Lowe's? Is he the voice of oh, Lowe's? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, doesn't is? Do, he doesn't do like every commercial, but he's been doing Lowe's commercials for years. That's what he I never thought about that. After Welcome to Mooseport, that's all he does. Because he doesn't act. No, he retired. But he's still he'll, he'll still. He can do record some... it from his house. It's no, no, so, I easy. understand. I just but like he's still like yeah, I'm gonna keep going with this low stuff. Let <laughs> me just say he could record it from his house. He likes to come to Recon Cinema Studios and record it in in it's, our our booth. Yeah, it's one of his favorite booths in town. Yeah, for sure. He feels comfortable here. Yeah. We call it the the hack. <laughs> <laughs> it's the hack. That's on the nameplate. Yep, and it'll stay there forever. Yeah. And that's his license plate too. Hack one, hack, hack two, <laughs> for all his cars. Yeah, he's got them numerical. <laughs> that's our boy. Um, but yeah, Quick and the Dead is actually is a really fun movie. Is that any good? I've never. It seen is. It. It's it's especially if you like Sam Raimi at his quirkiest, mm-hmm. which is the Evil Dead movies. Lots of really intense visual shots, canted angles, zoom ins, and. Uh, stuff that's really funny and it's and the characters are really over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's led by Sharon Stone and yeah. and uh, Gene, and they're they're more straightforward hero hero and villain. But a lot of the other side characters, you got a young Russell Crowe and even younger Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, uh, you get you do get an appearance by Sam Raimi's uh, car that shows up in all his movies. Mm. Uh, but how's um, that? How's that happen? He works it in very creatively. I won't spoil it. But oh, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, that's appeared in every one of his movies. Oh, I did not know that. I don't know if any the last couple of it's been in, but for years it was. So. Yeah, of course. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a fun movie, and um, I enjoyed it when it came out. I didn't really, at the time, I didn't really look into who the director was and what his background was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not until I got to Santa Fe and was force-fed the Evil Dead trilogy that I just totally flipped on Sam Raimi, and I loved everything about him, everything he did. Uh, found those movies so much fun. Evil Dead 1, not as fun, but... Uh, sure. Two is amazing, and then I got I completely dove all the way in for Army of Darkness and enjoy it so much to this day. Well, great! So you you had a great time in Santa Fe discovering a new director for you, uh, and then here you are going to going to see his latest picture. Yeah. Oh my god! And it's a much more like straight the whole the, the whole thing about this movie. It was it's very simple. It was mm-hmm. a very simple plan mm-hmm. making this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly it was. It was sort of defied a, a lot of his conventional his conventions and and uh, things that he relied on. He wanted to tell a character story, right? Like yeah. he wanted to like. Not that his his movies don't have good character work at all, but I think it's it was more on the the visual quirkiness and all of that uh, that he that 
signature his signature things. Yeah, they're 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 sort of in this in a very minor way, but. If you didn't know he directed it, you wouldn't necessarily say, well, this is definitely a Sam Raimi film. Yeah, there's very few of those typical Sam Raimi shots. There's really only a couple. And because of the, uh, the, you know, the, the visuals of it it's it's hard it's a little bit hard to see those shots because yeah. there's there's certain ways he where he position positions the camera and like mm-hmm. they walk like from behind the camera and into frame yeah there's a couple of those mm-hmm. but a lot of his real intense visual style was gone and he that was all intentional he yes he did really want to make this a character driven story yeah. and just focus on what's happening with these characters and their performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he really followed John Borman's blueprint that was set up in prep, uh, especially since he had to jump in late in the game. He may have been forced to mm-hmm. just go with that, but I think he you know, wanted to go with it as well. Just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if it were up to him and it was his project from the beginning, yeah, you might have gotten a little bit more humor out of this or dark humor and right. a little bit of some crazy visuals. But... Yeah. Um, He's just filling. He's kind of just filling in. Yeah, I mean, he made it his, but he. Yeah, he made it his. He didn't develop the thing. It wasn't like it wasn't like Borman had shot most. It's not like Superman two. Right. Yeah. Where, you know, half the movie was shot, and then another (laughs) director comes in and gets all the credit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This was definitely Raimi's movie, but just as far as the concepts and the even some of the locations was was picked out by Borman. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's uh, this is a really good group of actors. A couple of your favorites, right? Sure. Chelsea Ross. Chelsea Ross. <laughs> He's very good as the sheriff, right? Yeah. Uh, no, but great. I loved cast. him in Major League. He's fantastic. I'll in never, that. I'll never say no to Major League. <laughs> I won't either. That's. <laughs> I will watch that at the beginning of every. Actually, not the beginning. The end of every baseball season, right? Ah, going into the playoffs. Got so. it. Right. Who's going to get the pennant? Yeah. That's, like, that's Cleveland what Cleveland does. That's every year. <laughs> At least in your world. If <laughs> Cleveland wins the pennant. Yep. Tom Berenger is still the catcher. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, great, great cast and all kind of at different phases of their career. We'll start with Bill Paxton. So Paxton was an interesting choice after Nicolas Cage stepped out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is. I would say timeline wise, this would be probably smack right in the middle of his career. This is where he was becoming a bigger deal than he ever was. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like well, this is the, his apex is coming. Yeah, he had done all his like quirky eighties movies, you know, your your uh weird science, your Terminator aliens, your mm-hmm. James Cameron stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh and then throughout the nineties his roles got a little bigger, a little more sophisticated and uh, I guess Twister was really the big movie that launched him as a leading man, even though he wouldn't stay necessarily as a leading man, but yeah. he would, depending on the the movie, he would go back and forth. Yeah. The Twister, you know, he anchors the, the, the Titanic right there. Like, oh, yeah. It's like it was just, he, he, he guides us through uh, in that. And, um, and then one of my favorites of his was Frailty. Was one, uh, one Frail- yeah, Frailty was a few years later. Yeah, a few yeah. years later that was coming. Great. But like, so I didn't even know Simple Plan existed in the in the midst of all this. I mean, if you look at, at Paxton's full career, like he has had, he had a lot of great roles, great characters, really memorable dialogue. Yeah, you know, and coming into this, he's coming off just kind of a handful right before this Tombstone. 
uh, True Lies, Apollo 13, Twister, Evening Star, mm. in terms of endearment sequel, uh, The Traveler, and Titanic. So, Shoot. you know, Titanic obviously is the biggest movie of all time up to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, not if you, not counting inflation, but sure, sure. of the moment. Yeah. So he's very much in the public eye and... Uh, yeah, I think was it was a really strong, good choice, solid choice for this. I mean, a lot of critics look back at his career now that it sadly has come to an end, and we lost Bill two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, I want to say it was ninety seven. Yeah, early ninety seven. So yeah, not ninety seven. The seventeen. Are yeah, you saying ninety seven? Yeah, I do mean seventeen. I'm actually seeing it in my head. It's seventeen. But yeah. No, uh, almost almost three years ago. Yeah, yeah. which was tragic, and uh, yeah. he was a good guy. But um, yeah, a lot of great performances, and uh, they look back. A lot of critics look back and think that this was this was one of his top two or three acting performances. Mm-hmm. Even if the movie wasn't acknowledged as one of his most successful ones, I think it was for him personally. Maybe. Yeah, I I can see that. I really I really enjoyed it. It's he. He carries this movie. I mean, it's him and Billy Bob, or the, the, obviously, like the, and uh, he carries this thing so well. And uh, his the subtle arc of his character, uh, it works so really well. It yeah. just works really well. Yeah, I mean, he really look. He's able to sell the theme of right, right, and wrong. Yeah, very well. Yeah. I mean, you know, starting out as your your typical, you know, Midwestern. Family man, good old not good old boy, but uh, yeah, no, but good guy, yeah. traditional good guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and how quickly once they find the plane that's crashed and find what's inside it and find the four and a half million dollars in cash, how quickly he can be corrupted. Yeah, and then how far that corruption goes. Well, it's, and it's that's throughout the film. It's just it's this funny thing of where he's trying to be rational and trying to do the right thing and keeps making bad choices, and it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that overwhelming feeling like things could fall apart. It's just more. He keeps kind of solving problems, but in a in uh, in some morally reprehensible ways. But it's just you just got to get to the finish line. You can just sort of tell he's just and he's even saying like we're almost there toward the end of the movie. Yeah, you know we're, we're just a few more hours. We got this, and still bad choices have to yeah come out. And he's influenced by his brother and his wife, and then his own. His own needs, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's quite a journey for him. Yeah, it really. Uh, every choice he makes just digs his hole deeper and deeper. Oof. And some of those, like, what are you gonna do? Like, yeah. some of those aren't his fault. It's just the hole was just made deeper. Yeah. And then he kind of, if you're not gonna confess, has to take it deeper. Right. It's just funny that, like, you know, he, ta- he sort of takes a moral high ground at the very beginning about it like let's get the cops we shouldn't do this and then kind of can get you know he gets convinced like well you know okay well we'll wait we'll make sure it's legit like we can that no one's going to come looking for it and then he's like we can't tell anybody we can't tell anybody let's keep this between us it's safe and then he immediately tells his wife yeah and then roping her into it and you'd think like she would have been some sort of like uh some conscience for him but she's on board already, like just formulating plans. Like here, oh, she was she... just saying she's literally just telling him how she would not take that money. Yeah, turns around and the money's staring at her in the face, it's and just... how again that immediate, which which is, 
You know I think you very do. human. I think yeah. probably most people would uh, probably make. I don't know about killing people, but, but like, as far as woo, keeping the money, yeah, a lot of people would find some way to keep it. What can you do? What can you do to get away with? We it? did it. We did it. Here and we are. Here we are. And we'll never find it. One of the top podcasts in the world mm-hmm. emanating from Reek and Cinema Studios. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, and one thing I really love about all this cast and, and led by Bill, this is by no means a uh, slap in the face or, or demeaning to Bill, but... Watch it. He is... Watch it. Not a typical, like, handsome George Clooney, Brad Pitt leading man. Right, right, right. Sure. L- looks wise, he looks more like an average guy, mm-hmm. and I think all these actors fit because they look like real people. Right, they don't look like movie stars. Billy Bob sometimes can look like a movie star, but here he's like really played very homely. You oh know? yeah, yeah. And even Bridget Fonda, who is, I mean, she's beautiful in this movie. She is amazingly beautiful in in real life, uh, but they really tried to play her down. You know, a little bit. Yeah, they kind of plain Jane her. Like, yeah, kind of get to achieve the look of what these local guys in Minnesota might look like. Yeah, uh, for sure. It doesn't look like Hollywood, California. You know, Venice, Venice Beach. I don't know. Venice Beach. Where's that? Zuma Beach. Zuma. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't look like that in uh... Manhattan Beach. <laughs> sure. Redondo so, even. Uh. So many beaches out here. Sound, we sound like the Californians now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Billy Bob Thornton. Who is this guy? So this is what, early in his career. So Bill's kind of smack in the middle of his career. Billy Bob is really, not necessarily age-wise, but uh, where his, his star status, this is really almost right in the beginning. I guess so, yeah. This is, this is where things start taking off for him, this era. Yeah, Billy Bob obviously had his big, you know, moment in the sun with Sling Blade. Right. Which, I mean, he was, Billy Bob was a co-star on, on was it Evening Shade? Uh, or was it, no, Hearts, Hearts of Fire. Hearts of Fire, Hearts yeah. of Fire with John Ritter. Oh, jeez. Back to Ritter. Ritter. It all Ritter. circles around Ritter John Ritter. connects us all. Uh, was it John Ritter and Marky Post, I want to say? Oh, wow, I hope so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he was like he was like the comic relief side character in that show, uh-huh. and he was like a heavy set, bearded, balding guy, totally different Billy Bob than wow. what most people know. Really, uh, uh, and then also during this time he had done another movie with Bill Paxton called One False Move, oh. <clears throat> really good movie. Hmm. And he did Tombstone apparently. Tombstone. He so him and Bill, team. this is their third time working together. They're back. Uh, but yeah, so he was coming off of an Oscar nomination for Sling Blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, did he win the Oscar for Sling Blade? I can't remember now. Mm, I'll look that up. Definitely nominated. I'll look uh, it up. U-Turn, The Apostle, uh, Primary Colors, and then Armageddon comes out about six months before mm-hmm. uh, before Simple Plan does. So, which was a major movie and another big A-list that was sort of boosting Billy Bob's status up. Uh, but yeah, still very early in his career. A lot of his big hits uh, were yet to come. And a really good, juicy role for him, too. I think he was really good at playing these kinds of characters that, you know, sometimes as, his, as he became more of an A-list star, he got away from that. Mm. Uh, Bridget Fonda, who... 
I had a personal interaction with back in the early 90s. You did? I did, yeah. Wow. I was, uh, my uncle worked on single, a little movie called Single White Female. Mm-hmm. And my parents and I went to the set uh, in New York City, Manhattan. Wow. Uh, after I left school early, it was great. I was in seventh grade, got pulled out of school early, went right down to the city, went right to a big, big time movie set. Wow. And, Fancy. Uh, when we get there, we're going up to the set and we get in an elevator and this woman steps in the elevator with us. <laughs> and my dad is nudging me, like pointing at this woman. And I'm like, what? Like, what? Yeah. Yes, there is a woman in this elevator. Yeah. I don't know what you want. And they, you know, she like turned and like said hello to us and then got out of the elevator and <laughs> left. And, and they were like, my parents were like, oh, do you know who that was? <laughs> She's from Godfather 3. <laughs> it's like, what? She's like, that's Bridget Fonda. I'm like, who is Bridget Fonda? <laughs> that, was, that was 12-year-old me. 12-year-old, yeah. No, that was early Bridget Fonda, so you yeah. know, I wasn't quite in tune yet. Sure, but. of course. Well, what a, what a treat. Yeah, so by this point, uh, she was a big, big star. Um, yeah. And this was actually one of her like last major movies. And she had married uh, the big... Big composer Danny Elfman, who worked on this film as well, mm-hmm. uh, and a, a longtime collaborator with Sam Raimi. Uh, they had gotten married, and she, I believe, they just had a family, and she stepped out of acting not long after Simple Plan. Mm-hmm. But going into this, uh, God, she had done The Point of No Return, which is a La Femme Nikita American remake. Oh, yeah. It's fine, but La Femme Nikita is the real movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Little Buddha, It Could Happen to You. Another Nicolas Cage classic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. City Hall and Jackie Brown. Great small role in Jackie Brown. Mm -hmm. Uh, Totally like polar opposite character of this movie uh, coming out a a year prior. Hmm. Uh, Who else? We've got Chelsea Ross we talked about. Yep. Who is a character actor in so many movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Major League, of course, is the, the first one that pops out. Yeah, he, that that's what all I think that's probably the first time I'd seen him. Yeah, over and over. So he's sort of locked into my brain. Yeah, this is, this is that guy. <laughs> but yeah, you see him. You see him in a lot of stuff. Yeah, but really, I'm mean, really good character actor. Yeah, a lot of times played a jerk. Yeah, because uh, he was just he was good at selling that. Mm-hmm. But he would actually pop up down the road in another Sam Raimi movie called Drag Me to Hell. Oh, so it all, again, life just comes right back around. Every sure time. does. Uh, and then who else we've got? Becky, um, Becky Ann Baker, mm-hmm. who is the, who is, well, Brent Briscoe is, is uh, the husband and she's the wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lou Burroughs, I think is his character's name. Yeah, Lou. Yeah. He's the, he's the third person who finds the money. Right. He's the other, it's an interesting trio where, you know, Hank is sort of the, Middle of the road, straight laced, kind of just trying to do right by a simple life. He's got a dim witted brother. That's you know that's Billy Bob Thornton, and then and then his sort of like ne'er do well buddy Lou, who's the town drunk. He's like yeah, he's proud of being the town drunk, and you know also lives like they all live a basic simple life, but they they're all defined very differently. And so what happens when each each one of those types of men are pre- presented with this cash like? what would you do with it or what's the plan what do you think works and uh it, it that's what's so great about uh brent briscoe in this that yeah. you you know they go to they go to hank and jacob's mom's uh you know gravestone 
and he's you know he's just off peeing in the snow yeah, instead of his even, name and pee in the snow yeah instead of like having any kind of reverence or you know just respect for what's happening and then of course but billy bob or you know jacob like joins in on it because like that's just fun goofy time yeah like so you know jacob's pulled between the allegiance and and love of his brother and then his buddy who sort of gets him better uh than than anybody else well, yeah i mean they're really jacob and and uh lou are really more like brothers yeah than hank and jacob are in a sense yeah they're really very opposite they really don't have anything in common they don't really get along yeah you can tell right away that hank doesn't really enjoy his brother coming around yeah. and sees him out of obligation mm-hmm. uh yeah that uh but but yeah brent brent briscoe does a great job here uh, also i guess, would you consider him a character actor as well brent briscoe yeah, yeah i mean i, I enjoy uh, he him. became kind of a lynch david lynch staple in yeah. more recent years mm-hmm He's in Mulholland Drive and Twi- the Twin Peaks relaunch. He show, he's uh, he's the owner of JJ's Diner in Parks and Recreation. That's which right. Is one of his one of his last great roles. We lost him a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, due to uh, complications after a fall of all things. So yeah. Just sort of a that's a bummer. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's <laughs> seeing. I mean, I knew him from I knew him best from Parks and Rec, uh, but having known known who he was. Um, and then seeing him sort of get a get a sort of a spotlight in this movie was, was a treat. Yeah, and this was the first time I remember seeing Brent Briscoe, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it's catchy catchy name Brent Briscoe. BB baby, uh, and this was the you know he, he stuck with me after this movie. He, I thought he was he was really good and mm-hmm. was very believable. You yeah. buy him as that town town drunk, the local town guy. Yeah, also and, in Sling Blade, by the way. Was he in Sling Blade? He plays too? Scooter Hodges. Well, there you go. So all these guys are in sling place. And then they, they come back together. Billy Bob is like the centerpiece to this cast. Yeah, how about that? Uh, uh, Be- and Becky Ann Baker, who was the mother in uh, Freaks and Geeks at this point. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, wait, no. Freaks no. and Geeks would have been after this. So Yeah. Yeah. D- uh, is that right? Yeah. Freaks and Geeks was when? 99, 2000. Uh, all right. I believe you. Yeah. Uh, but she's uh, right. great and... and Total again, another opposite role, and from between this and Freaks and Geeks, and uh, mm-hmm. and later shows up as the mother in Girls, and you know lots of other small roles, but great great character actress. She shows up in Spider Man Three. Actually, does she now? She's... The one I haven't seen. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> you haven't seen it. I have not seen it. Oh, you probably wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> well, then, going back to Sam Raimi for a sec, like this is. This is a very important movie for him because this is what he's going to try. He's going to use this movie to really show that he can do something dramatic mm-hmm. and that he can. He doesn't have to be all the crazy, you know, sci fi horror stuff and yeah. all those gags that he can, he can do a movie. I think this was. Uh, this and maybe for the love of the game were influential in him getting Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think so. Which was a huge responsibility to go from the low-budget Evil Dead movies to, you know, one of the the biggest budget movies of 2002. Yeah, I think so. Huge franchise movie. And and that whole, that first trilogy is all kind of on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, from start to finish, that's that's all him. So it's it's an interesting arc on how that that series went and then how it's looked at uh, from the from the present day yeah and sort of critiqued 
But uh, he he other I mean the X Men movie had already premiered. Right. Um. So, but Spider Man launched the comic book movies forward, and then Spider Man Two is widely regarded as one of the best comic book movies ever, and you know, uh, of all time. Spider Man um, Two is hands down the best of that trilogy. It's incredible. Oh, yeah, certainly the trilogy. But you know that that set the bar for years. After that, it's um, part of my problem with the Spider Man movies. I, and I again, I love Raimi. Yeah. Two works. I think two is better partially because you get more Sam Raimi in it, like mm-hmm. because he's more comfortable in that franchise and it's successful. Yeah. He dips his toe back into his style, yeah. especially that scene where Doc Ock like goes crazy in the op on the operating oh, table. Yeah. That's all Sam Raimi. Oh That's yeah, like straight out of Evil Dead too. Absolutely, and Army of Darkness. Like great, yeah. great to see that. I struggle with. Uh, Toby Maguire and a couple mm-hmm. of the over-the-top kind of cheesy stuff that happens mostly in the first one, but a little bit in the second one. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the, Spider-Man 2 just has so many iconic set pieces, th- things that just work. The characters are are, are livelier. Everything works on that. Um, You're not establishing everything. Yeah, you, know, you don't have already, to worry about that. Yeah. Um, so, and then, yeah, looking back on the whole se- the series as a whole is just sort of like, the dialogue is all is pretty bad in, yeah. in all of them, but it, it works in its own little world. But like, you wouldn't make the movie like this today. Those movies yeah, like well, that today. everything's changed with the way Marvel yeah. handled their characters and that whole yeah uh, cinematic universe. This is kind. Of, I mean, he, he he's he's sort of a good successor to Burton with Batman. Yeah, like just sort of like this is this is about people in costumes doing crazy, goofy shit. Like we're gonna we're not gonna let you forget that. Yeah, <laughs> like we're gonna. You know, they both try to do some good character stuff. I think Remy's more effective, yeah, on his on his end. But um, uh, it's not about an overall story with a big end game. Yeah, right. There's no, yeah, there's no things. There aren't seeds planted in the first or second movie specifically to be resolved in the third one or anything right. like that. It's right. just there's just three separate movies about the same characters. Yeah. Anyway, so but yeah, but this but a simple plan was a big. Uh, way he could show his maturity absolutely and that like hey guys hey studios yeah i can make a real you know m- movie for adults and not just for teenagers yeah yeah not that there's anything wrong with the other movies he made i love them to death sure not not you know putting them down at all don't but, put them down uh but this was a different different level so okay oh we forgot one more actor how oh. could you forget, David? How could you forget Gary Cole? Gary Cole, late, late to the party. Late, on that. Late to the, he's late in the movie. Yeah. You don't see him till almost the very end. But. Well, I saw his name in the credits, uh, the opening credits, which goes through, and I was like, "Oh, Gary Cole's in this. Cool." And then I had forgotten that it said Gary Cole's in this movie. It's about half an hour left. Yeah, <laughs> and he shows up. I'm like, oh, there's Gary Cole. Yeah, and he was. Uh, did. Wait, did Sam Raimi produce that show, American Gothic? Um, Sven, look that, check that on the recomputer. It was a CBS like dark, kind of like a Twilight Zone slash Twin Peaks kind of series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remember it vaguely, but I remember Gary Cole was one of the leads on that show. Oh, I see. Which is probably how he got this role. Could be, yeah. I mean, yeah. So yeah, Sam Raimi was the EP. That's that for that year. Yeah. Of it, yeah. So Gary, at this point, had been doing darker characters, 
but almost right after that would come office space which would blow open the door for his yeah. com his you know comedy world yeah which he was to me he was one of the more subtle but great parts about veep oh for sure he was so good oh no everything so he good. does on veep he's so it's such a well-written character and his his timing everything he does is just fantastic yeah ah oh, big gary cole fan i don't do you know me I don't get starstruck very often, mm-hmm. but I worked with Gary Cole once, Uh-oh. and I did have him sign my copy of Office Space. No, you didn't. I did. I love that. Yeah. You, you... One of the very few autographs that I actually have. Yeah. That's cool. Then I just had him come up and sign a bunch of uh, headshots for me, just for fun. <laughs> so but... you can put them on eBay. Yeah, so I sold them all. <laughs> you know those Gary Cole headshots? Yeah. <laughs> Top dollar. They're going for big money. <laughs> He was in a movie called Santa Fe. Can you believe it? Oh, my God. Tell me about this movie. Well, he played a character named Paul Thomas, right? And uh, he's an ex-cop who happened to be the sole survival of a mass cult suicide in Wyoming. And he returns to his hometown of Santa Fe in order to put his life together. I think that's that's part of why you go to Santa Fe is to put your life together. (laughs) So I'm moving back there shortly. You should. Uh, You know, we're, we've been talking about the actors here. That's wanna, good enough for me. I want to. I want to. I'm going to take a little sidestep. Where are we going? A little little game that we like to play here, at Recon Cinema Studios. Uh huh. Called Paxton or Pullman. Oh, okay, sure. There's over the course of Hollywood's history, there's been many a confused viewer about who they're actually looking at. Is it Bill Paxton or is it Bill Pullman? Is that Bill Pullman? Sure, yeah. Who is in this movie or who is in that movie? Who is the lead of Twister? Uh-huh. I don't know. Pa- Paxton or Pullman? Right. Uh, and it became such a uh, problem. These guys, they were actually friends and it became a little bit between them. Yeah. But we're going to continue that game here. So, David, I'm going to fire out some questions. Uh-oh. I'm not good at trivia. It's a short game, but All right. let's see here. Cool. Let's embarrass Let me, me a little. Let get my reading glasses That'd be on fun. Here. Yeah. Uh, Sven, turn that one page. Okay, thank you. Okay. Who was shot and killed in the movie Tombstone? Spoiler alert. Bill Paxton. Hmm, interesting. Who Now, who was shot and killed in the movie Wyatt Earp? Both movies Bill, about Wyatt Earp. Bill Pullman? Wait. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. Okay. Because then I started to think, did I get them backwards? Oh, my God. Exactly. Once you said, oh, yeah. Of All course, right. if you're doing two movies at the same time about the same guy, you've got to put Paxton in one and Pullman in the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get me Bill. Which Bill? Okay. You know the one. Next question. Who plays a space pilot in the movie Spaceballs? That's Bill Pullman. Who plays a space pilot in the movie Apollo 13? Bill Paxton. Ding, ding, ding. You got it again. (laughs) All right. Two space pilots. Is that what they're called? Space pilots. Is that what his role was? Well, they're both pilots, (laughs) and they're in space. (laughs) Bill Paxton, I forgot, played uh, a space pilot. (laughs) He's a pilot in space. Uh, Okay. Who gets their body tampered and tortured with in the movie... The Serpent and the Rainbow. Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman? You'll know know the answer to the follow-up one of this, so I'm going to wait. Bill Pullman? 
who gets their body tampered with in the movie Weird Science. Ah, Bill Paxton. Ding, ding, ding. You got 100%, my friend. I I nailed it. You did it. I nailed it. Sometimes we just like to talk about movies and Paxton or Pullman. Paxton or Pullman. What so, a what a what a segment. Yeah, proud of you, David. You thank got you. Hundred percent. I got lucky. You gave. <laughs> you, I think you gave me some softballs, but well, appreciate it. it. It's the first time we're publicly doing it, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to ruin you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can go deep catalog. And just, <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> absolutely, there's a lot me. more. Yeah, I'm like um, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Filming began in January on January fifth, I believe, nineteen ninety-eight. They started <laughs> filming the movie. We're talking about Simple Plan again, by the way. Okay, we're back on that. <laughs> back on. Thank you for zeroing in on the exact start of principal photography. Uh, January fifth. They, <laughs> they were intending to shoot most of the movie in Minnesota, in Delano, Minnesota, but the shocking lack of uh, winter weather due to El Nino mm-hmm. that year. Uh, really threw the game plan off. So they would wait and wait and wait, and no snow would come. So they ended up shooting some of the interiors there. They shot the bar sequence in there, and I believe the interior of the Burroughs house Gotcha. Uh, there as well, which was another like difficult location. It was an abandoned house uh, with super low ceilings. You can kind of tell because they're, the way they're shooting almost almost up at them, yeah. a lot of it, yeah. is uh, you, know, you could tell that it was... Not the ideal studio building a set. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't design it that way if you had to shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So they ended up going to moving production to Wisconsin uh, to get a lot of the exteriors there where snow was definitely... Wisconsin gets snow. Oh, they do. Don't forget about about it. You saw it in the movie. (laughs) There's snow everywhere. And uh, Sam Raimi had been friends with the Coen brothers for years going way back to their early filmmaking days when they all listen to this house so it was living all living in this big giant house together was the Coen brothers Sam Raimi Holly Hunter Kathy Baker mm-hmm. and I believe Bruce Campbell was in in and out of that house Holy so cow! the talent in oh, that house just dripping incredible dripping all over the walls <laughs> Talent everywhere. Like melting snow. Mm-hmm. Drip, not, maybe not over the walls. All but, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, they had done had just finished Fargo, so he did consult with them about how the heck do you, what's the best way, uh, well, if you've got to shoot in, in the actual snow, yeah. like what's the best way to do it? So do do they gave him some creative tips, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they always had a collaboration between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's... You know, certain shots in Blood Simple that are very, and Raising Arizona that are very Sam Raimi. Oh. That like real fast, like he used to do shots oh, on, yeah. and for the Evil Dead movies, these shots on these motorcycles mm-hmm. with the camera like attached by a two by four to the motorcycle mm-hmm. and would just ride through the woods. And that was how he'd get a lot of those famous shots. But they used the same thing in a couple of their other movies. I so. see. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, kind of brilliant. I wonder if they still consult with each other once in a while. I can imagine I'm they sure don't. They, I'm sure they chat. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they're all friends. I don't think they... A barbecue here and there. Yeah. But do they... I mean, who knows? Maybe. You sure they get together? They talk shop? Don't they talk shop? Pro- yeah, they pro- I hope they do. Everyone just... in this business talks shop. 
It's what you do. The first half hour of any conversation <clears throat> with a friend in the business. Yeah. You talk and shop. And they uh, they wanted to keep the the way the movie is shot, like we mentioned, very simple and straightforward. The color scheme of the movie is very muted. There's not a lot of very. bright colors other than white. You know, it's a lot of white and dark tone, light and dark tones to yes. just balance the theme of of I wouldn't say good and evil, but right and wrong. Sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. There's uh yes moral choices on on the side of good and bad and a lot of gray a lot of gray washed out colors and yeah yeah it's it's a messy it's a messy place to be messy yeah but thematically we've got a lot of things going on here there's you know corruption and greed and and how that can take you know a good person and turn them evil basically mm-hmm. i mean how many people does uh does Hank actually kill in this movie? Three. three. Yeah. He Straight gets, up murders three people. Yeah. He's the got old the, guy on the snow, the snowmobile. Yeah. He kills... Gary Cole. Right. And Well, and four. It, and his brother. Well, because he kills... Oh, and he kills He kills wife. Lou's wife. He kills... <laughs> he kills Helen. He <laughs> kills four people. Yeah. And he's just like... Eh. So he's... Does that make him actually a serial killer? Uh... So more than I think three. I mean, I think it isn't that still defined by motive and repeat offenses based yeah, on probably, necessary. but but yeah, he's killed a lot. He's killed yeah, he killed a lot in like a week. All these people end up dead around him. Yeah, <laughs> like, and it's like, how does he keep? He keeps just that's the thing is he he keeps doing these things and making these choices and justifying them. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're yeah, we're almost there. We're we're. You know, we're almost home. We're we're right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, even at the end, very tense situation where they, you know, he's out in the woods with his brother, the sheriff, and Gary Cole, who may or may not be, we find out is not, uh, an FBI agent looking for this crashed plane. Yeah. That earlier in the movie, Billy Bob Thor or uh, Jacob, you know, kind of blurbs about the hearing a plane to the sheriff oh, when yeah. he just should have kept his mouth shut yep. didn't, and didn't they have would've... to say a word but because he said that later in the movie it dawns on on the sheriff that oh yeah these guys knew about mm-hmm. said something about an airplane something about an airplane it's just funny to say that and do that and like you know that plane was was there for weeks or you know at least, yeah. or a few days or at least definitely at least a few days at least a few days because that body was getting old. But it's funny of like you know if you just line up the details, I'm like well yeah I pulled them over on Thursday and they said something about a plane, and like you know Gary Cole would probably be like well you know he would know where the plane should have been a certain time, so the details are a little weird. Yeah, he probably already sus- he already suspected. Uh, it's just too much of a coincidence. Yeah. But I did like the tension of that where, you know, Helen figures out, wait, did he even show you a badge? Like, is he, is he an FBI agent? Is he the, cause she, she figures out where the money comes from, where, where it came from, the history of the money using her library resources. Oh, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about Bridget Fonda. Yeah. Was that what I said? Oh, yeah. I said okay. she, I think yeah. I didn't even mention like Sarah, <laughs> uh, J- Hank's wife. You know who's now in all in on this from the beginning, giving him uh, tips and advice and hints. She figures out where the money's coming from. Yeah. Um, 
and like whether or not that helps them get away with their plan. Yeah. And then she's the one that has the the light bulb. Like, hey, is he even a cop? So she's like, she's like, she's got a lot of sinister things going on. Yeah, there. like you, she's already like figuring out like this you, guy's a crook. You see a lot about that character as the movie goes on. Yeah. Just, and, and it's a smaller role, but but yeah. you do see like she changes from that good kind of goody not goody two shoes, but you know very. The good wife at home. Yeah, the good wife who's just at who's at home. She's pregnant early on in the movie, and then then she's uh, you know the mother raising the the child. But <clears throat> we definitely see that darker side as she kind of drives Hank to some of the decisions that he makes. And like Hank always struggles with what the money should be. I mean, it, there's a few. Even though he makes these choices, like he's ready to put the money back, he's he's just trying to like. He wants to solve the problem. The simplest thing would be to get rid of the money. And yeah. And it, it turns into... Well, she guilts him, too. I mean, that speech that she gives him, the, do you do you want to see me like this? Do you want to yeah. see... Like, kind of unearthing this hatred that they both have for their, their the life that they led up until that point. Yeah, and it's you can't quite tell if they've are, they if she had that or once the money became real... She's like, I can't, I can't not be rich. Like, I can't not have everything I want. Yeah. I can't live the life I've promised to live. Like, where she said, we have, we don't have to worry about money. We yeah. like, we have, you know, we're fine. We're gonna be okay. But then yeah. the money like corrupts her without having to spend a dime of it. Yeah, you know, like that. The so it is sort of like this road that you choose to take, and then here's the here's a road. Well, you, you wish you could take, you know, and, yeah. and then being resentful for the, the fact that you made your choices. Like, that's deep shit. Yeah. Like that, that, like life is hard when like the, the paths you take and it's, you know, no matter what you make a choice, you'll never know what happened if you took the other choice yeah. or whatever. But that's every day, every second, every choice is a path not taken. So kind of like in the who's the boss theme song. You're right. Yeah, were, oh. they were really. There was a prequel. It's, <laughs> Who's the boss is the setup for a simple plan. Exactly. We all knew it. Uh, so you know that the fact that she could use this idea of like a life that she only sees going one way, dull, coupon clipping, working at a library day right. after day, making the same dinners, like that their life was their simple life that they were fine with is now like a punishment for some terrible choices. <laughs> like did they love each other and decide to have kids and like have a nice hat? Like they have a decent house. Yeah. Like it's a two story house. Like, you know, you're doing okay from what the American dream or whatever is. Yeah. Which Hank says like the American dream is something you work for, not something you steal, you know, but like, they tried and they tried and boy, did things go bad. And it's a great, it really is a, uh, we talked about noir Vember. Modern, uh, you know, film noir. And this is another really good example of one. I mean, Mm -hmm. like the same themes that are here and plot devices are straight out of film noir. Yeah. I mean, all you need is a stolen case of money. And (laughs) and what does that do to people? Yeah. yeah, Uh, yeah. Even though it may be in a Midwestern setting and more outdoors and not in a city, but (laughs) like a lot of film noirs, noir films were. Of course. Um, Yeah, this is a really great version of it yeah so if you're looking for a neo-noir film this is another one to check out get in there besides copland call it up which you can also listen to in the archives www.reconsidimation.com it's true 
Um, it's you know if you're listening to this, uh, as well, I don't know. I I haven't checked to see if it's still streaming on Hulu and Amazon Prime in January. Uh, I'd have to call it up to see, but it's yeah. it's 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 available now, or at least it was a week ago, on these services. You never know what's out there. Or find your local video store. Mm-hmm. Check that out. Like Videotech. Like Videotech. And soon to be Vidiots. Vidiots, right. <laughs> uh, anyway, so one thing that I always, especially looking back on it, 90s movies, talking about our 90s winter wonderland, mm-hmm. uh, 90s movies tend to sometimes hit you over the head with their with the themes of their movie and right. what the message is. Like, they really... You know, body slam it. Yeah, it can like, lack a certain subtlety. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I don't know why that was. Why the '90s kind of morphed that way? Of you know, that subtlety, especially of the '70s, was long gone, mm-hmm. and where you really had to think about, oh, what was oh, what was really happening here? I think it was just uh, there was probably some response to you know the more obvious something is and storytelling. You can kind of get right to the point. Mm-hmm. And have these sort of uh, moral, moral morality tales being yeah. told in a lot of these things, and you know, it's uh, sort of like people like to be told like what to what to think sometimes. Yeah. you know. I mean, a lot of them are obvious, but what do you do? You do you feel like this one hit you over the head with it? No, I don't think this one. I th- I don't think it. I don't think it tries to make it black and white all that much. I think I can. I could almost uh, sympathize with having to kill an old man to save his brother and save the plot and save yeah. the money. Like, not that I, I, you know, I say I, I would never do that, but I don't think he ever thought he would do that. Right. I mean, I don't think I would do that. I mean, it's like, well, mm. send my brother to jail, put the money back, or you know, forget it. But I don't know. I'm making a face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I see the question marks over your head. Yeah. Like dot 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 question mark yeah so it's it's i don't think it's like i think we know like the very basic tenets of like murder is wrong like Mm -hmm. yeah obviously like and there's no excuse for it but what drives people to do bad things uh you know the promises of a brand new life yeah all your problems solved i don't think i really don't think that this one i mean it was obvious what the what the morality issues were going on here Mm -hmm. but you didn't know where the plot was going. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel as, you know, as much of like shoved it down my throat of like, okay, I get what you're saying because you don't really know what the next thing is going to be because there's so many like left turns and this, again, this hole just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. So you really don't know where they're going. Yeah. And at the same time, the performances are so engaging mm-hmm. that, um, you know, you're along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and there's no big the characters take stands for like what they're trying to do and what they believe and stuff, but they're not speechifying and making a big, big show of it. You know, uh, they all have their simple wants and and needs. Yeah, and uh, they make that clear, but there's no like, well, this we're doing this is it's the right thing to do or the right thing for my family is this or whatever. It's it's just it's a continuous struggle for for Hank and Jacob. Yeah. Even. Because uh, even Jacob was ready to give up, like just forget. Like, oh yeah, it like, was not worth what he was losing. Yeah, especially when he first has to turn on 
Because Hank and Lou don't get along. So, you know, Jacob is stuck in the middle here and having to not only turn on Lou, but then eventually be responsible for his death and then his wife's death. And losing that was too much. Yeah, Yeah. There was no way to, you know, survive that really. Yeah. Tough, tough life. Yeah. I, I prefer this. I mean, Fargo is a great movie and all, but I prefer this kind of thing happening to normal people. Yeah. And, and presented in this way than the Fargo of it all. There's they're more char- They're more like. Well, these are obviously more grounded characters. Yeah. And re- like these realistic. Feel like, yeah. Like, these feel like real, real people. Yeah. Yeah. Versus like sort of that. that obviously, like. Fargo and they're it's all a heightened reality to a certain point um, they're more where, extreme characters for sure yeah but they're kind of regular people caught up in incredible situations and then but it's just all a little much for me hmm. I don't know maybe maybe too violent I don't know like, I yeah Fargo's more much more violent yeah, and gory it, and maybe um, it's the violence that that gets me I love I mean I, Fargo is one of my sure favorites but yeah I'd rather watch this again than Fargo. Again. This is yeah. I this like is, Fargo, but this, I like this. I can I can see that for you. I can see for that. me. Yeah, so yeah. My this, tastes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah. So let's talk about how did this movie do in the box office? Box so we talked office. about the making of it, and you know what works with it. I really don't think there's much that works against it. It, it to me, it felt maybe a couple minutes too long like it, there was a little bit that dragged but i wouldn't even say it dragged just yeah. slowed down a minute you could trim it a little i feel like uh it'd be cool to see some you know what do you call it when you insert brands into a movie like uh coke Pepsi? coke yeah yeah I, w- I wanted to see like hey i'll have a coca-cola please yeah uh or check out my new nike air jordans why can't they do a scene in the drive-thru of a McDonald's? Yeah, they or could a, easily be having their talks. Buying a BK broiler. <laughs> yeah. A BK broiler, right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that'd be great if it could be dated by like a product that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. that I don't think exists anymore. <laughs> you know? uh, like, I need to have this my way right away. Like, hey, hand me that Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> but, if uh, we could go back and re-edit movies and sponsor them all <laughs> over the place. Yeah. Like the Godfather, you know, on just Don Corleone's desk, there's just a can of Pepsi. Yeah, just throwing the product placement. Yeah. I remember back in the late 90s, there was talk of because of the of how digital technology kept improving. Like there were there was articles written like perhaps like with syndicated TV shows that go back, they will add in mm. stuff, you know, just product placement in wow. scenes and stuff. And I was like so offended by the idea. Oh, I'm yeah, like, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like. But it, it was like a real like thought. Like uh, I'm sure it was like just more like I wouldn't th- put it past them doing it now. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I'm kind of surprised they don't. But I guess there's enough like there's enough avenues for advertising and product. Like doesn't matter. It's like, too much. It'd be too pricey to go put a uh, a box of Special K in uh, the middle of a. Sex in the City. Growing Pains episode <laughs> or Sex in the City. Yeah. Well, like, believe it or not, there still are studios that do care about the integrity of their shows yeah i'm not going to say which ones those Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. but there are some Uh um that wouldn't be okay with that but uh yeah there isn't much branding to this lack of a very severe lack of microsoft products yeah 
Um, you know, whatever. I mean, well, this would have been what Encarta still <laughs> could have worked in a screen grab of Encarta '95, maybe yeah. Windows '98. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this movie uh, comes out limited release December 11th, '98. It goes wide January 22nd, '99. Mm-hmm. Uh, the budget was 17 million. Oh. It did not do that well, unfortunately. It had a great word of mouth, mm-hmm. but um, I've got 16.3 as its domestic run. Right. So it was, uh, unfortunately, a money loser. Hmm. Um, part of that, I think, was, you know, obviously filming on location isn't cheap, and you had some some name talent there that probably cost a little bit. and. Mm-hmm. I don't know if all the other previous directors, whatever they were paid, you know, factored into this same version of the budget, but um, yeah, had to be somewhat costly. It's funny because like there, there's mixed, there's mixed notes about the the budget. Where I think Wikipedia puts it at seventeen, Box Office Mojo puts it at like thirty, like really way up there. Yeah, which I'm like, this, I can't imagine a thirty. No, I. I Box Office Mojo is not our friend right now, yeah, by the way. They screwed up everything. Yeah. Amazon finally like pulled the trigger and made things terrible. So, yeah. great stuff. I don't see this as a $30 million movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine it. But, whatever. Yeah. I would I would be more on the 17. Yeah. Um, it debuts, at least on the wide release, uh, it debuts at number 10. In the ten top ten in the week of the weekend, yeah, opening weekend Oosh. three point four million. Ooh, boy. and really, and and for nineteen ninety eight, it's only uh, number one hundred and sixteen. One hundred sixteen. Yeah. Jeez. Sandwich between Tea with Mussolini and Messenger: The Story of Joan of Arc. What? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking? That was about? a uh, Luc Besson movie. Got it. Yeah, but um, the top ten. Do you remember what the top 10 were for uh, January 16th? Or, sorry, January 22nd, 1999? Off the top of your head. No new movies that week. <laughs> Other than Simple Plan. No. <laughs> I'm just going to say gonna, no. I'm going to tell you in order. This is going to bring back so many memories. Okay. You saw, I know you saw all of these what in the What movies theater. could I see in January? You were front January. row seat for all of them. Okay. Varsity Blues, number one. Oh, yeah. Patch Adams. Come on. <laughs> oh, uh, a civil action. A civil action is that with Matthew McConaughey? That is with. Nope, you're thinking of uh, Time to Kill. Thank you. Uh, this is John Travolta. Got it. Uh, the Thin Red Line. Mm-hmm. Stepmom. Mm. At first sight, mm-hmm. you've got Mail, Prince of Egypt, and Shakespeare in Love. Wow. So, I saw Prince of Egypt. <laughs> I did not. It's pretty good. Yeah, tale of it's a tale of Moses, right? Your people. I should I should I'd see that. I guess cut that. You cut that out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, I don't want Val to slam. Kilmer is Val Kilmer the voice in that? I believe he yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Goldblum? No, that can't no. be right. <laughs> it's just... You know, you know the total package when you heard him. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, but critics love the movie, no matter how you know people weren't flocking to the theater to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, critics loved it. Again, they thought it was one of Paxton's best. It was another great performance by Billy Bob. At the time, he was, you know, had a lot. Of, we'll skip Armageddon, but <laughs> hey, listen, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, I'd great be... acting. Maybe not. No, yeah, maybe it, it might be a poor 
poor writing and direct. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but Roger Ebert has this has a simple plan as his number four favorite movie of '98. Wow, look at that. So I mean, it's it's a strong movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it ended up getting two Oscar nominations: one for Billy Bob for Best Supporting Actor, and then Scott Smith for Adapted Screenplay. Did not win either. No. Billy Bob also got a Golden Globe nomination up against. Bill Murray for Rushmore. Bill took it. Bill did not take it. Oh. Yeah. Bill won the Emmy. No. The, the, wait, the, <laughs> the Oscar, I mean. No, he did not. He won the Golden Globe. No. He didn't win anything. Wait, Bill didn't win anything? No. Should have. But... Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I don't know, do, do we feel like the movie works in 2020? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. I mean, it's a, it's really a solid movie. Great performances. The, yeah. the story is all there. It keeps you uh, involved and interested. And it's a little bit, you know, you don't see where those left turns are coming. Yeah. As long as we live in a society that, you know, values money uh, at, a, at a, such a high regard, uh, that punishes people for being poor, for glamorizes uh, a lifestyle with a lot of money, that... Uh, and as money as the solution all your problems you know people are always going to struggle with a windfall uh and sort of like an impossible choice um and this movie will always resonate with that well what i mean everyone everyone has always said well what if i won the lottery right well what i do with it like you and you plot it out like realistically in your head like well i would i would i would give this to this and and i would i would give this away and i would might buy maybe i'd buy a new car and i'd move here and but i would and then all the good you would do with it yeah in a sense and you think you would do all those things but that's a very that's a very limited uh, uh thing that happens people, most people will not win, win the lottery um so I, I but there's always that fantasy like what if i didn't have to worry about money yeah or what if i have to worry about the money because it's coming from like nefarious sources um, what would you do to to get away with it? Yeah, um, yeah. I think th- this movie is it's it will be timeless for some time. People will always have a connection to that yeah. plot device. I yeah. Think. So uh, it's 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 great. I love the movie. I still really enjoy yeah. it. Um, you know, if you miss Bill Paxton like we do, yeah, this is a great one to look at because it's. I mean, it's his. He is the lead of this movie, and yeah. he a um, lot of screen time, a lot of uh, another great performance. And if you're if you're missing him, definitely check this one out. Yeah, don't pop in Twister for the twentieth time. Pop in a Simple Plan, and you may not. You probably haven't seen it, so you're in for a treat. Like this is this is prime Paxton. If you're and if you're looking for any other tips or suggestions of some really good bill paxton mm-hmm. just just give us a tweet or send us a, a dm on instagram reconsideration podcast yeah we'll give you some we'll give you a top 10 the hot the Re- hot packs Recon- <laughs> <laughs> reconsiderations hot packs <laughs> hot packs yeah and it's the top 10 paxtons maybe we should just tweet that out anyway maybe we'll uh, uh, maybe we will yeah, stay Shoot. tuned after we release this episode yeah, yeah. we rank our t- favorite in, in any order Yeah Maybe not in any order we And however them. you like them however Top 10 packs, packs The packs picks The packs picks The packs picks <laughs> The hot packs picks <laughs> We're coming up with stuff <laughs> Boy this is going to be a great season for us A great year Get ready We're going to We're going to 
year season two is going to conclude halfway through this year. We'll roll right into season three. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. Well, this is going to be our. Th- we're going to lead into our third year of doing this. Yeah. This is the third calendar year we've been doing this. Third anniversary is coming. Coming, coming up. We got a second few months, anniversary is coming. Yeah. Third anniversary will be the year later. But yeah. here we go. Uh, and you're along for the ride. We're doing the Recon Cinema Winter. 90s winter 90s wonderland. winter wonderland uh so let's keep keep that moving yeah and uh let us know what your favorite 90s winter movies are. yeah there's so many to pick from there's guys so many empire strikes back that's in the winter that's yeah it was a... in the 80s but, yeah. <laughs> also in the 80s <laughs> um, but yeah so uh send us your picks for uh not just packs but uh the 90s winter wonderland we'll be back in two weeks uh with our next next uh, choice for you guys get ready for and it. then a couple more in february so it's gonna be great bring your and, gloves bring your galoshes yeah bring uh bring your shovels we got a lot to dig through in those movies <laughs> all right well check us out on our social media don't forget uh we're at reconsummation podcast twitter instagram facebook send us a message uh check us out on itunes and give us a five star uh, rating and review it, it means a lot to the show mm-hmm. and thanks to our uh, of course our friends ek wimmer for the theme music and and old curtis moore for the uh for the poster this week yes thank you curtis and, and thank you ek also jeff goldblum was in prince of egypt he did play aaron moses's brother oh. so just the, fyi the total package <laughs> strikes again yeah. but of course we're talking val uh his co-star was ralph fines of ralph, course ralph yeah. finney's yeah Ralph Yannis. Finest. 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 Anyway. Uh, all right, guys. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't watched it and you've made it all the way through this podcast, just go go rent a simple plan and watch it. it right now. Hurry. <laughs> all right. We'll be back in two weeks, and you take care now. Bye now. <laughs> <laughs>